Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, powered by Stick Mobility. We are your hosts, Dennis Dunphy and Neil Valera. Today is just Neil and I yakking it up today. How's it going, buddy? Pretty good, man. Started uh, started climbing again. Oh, see, that's know, nice, pretty, huh? At least once a week. Once a week, basically. Nice. But that's uh, it's a big thing, man. I, I had taken a break for like two years, basically. You got the vid and then just life in general, right? Yeah, yeah. Kids and kid, yep. Which kind of leads us, segues <clears throat> us into the topic for today, which is setting realistic expectations. Is there a really a disconnect between the fitness industry and the general population or the people that we're trying to, to influence or train? Yeah, I think so, because especially as a, if you're a young trainer, mm-hmm. right, you come in, you've got all this time. I mean, tons of time to train, to work out, to be in this lifestyle. And you're training people that are typically in their 40s plus. Mm-hmm. But you don't really have that perspective of, of what they go through every day. So you're, you know, you think like, okay, I get results. I, I train two hours a day. I meal plan. I got all this time. I sleep eight hours a day. I meditate, whatever it is. You got someone that has a full-time job, has two kids, you know, whatever stressors they have in their life. And you're trying to set them up on the same type of program. It's mm. not realistic. Yeah, not at all. I think what you said earlier about younger trainers. I mean, I started training at the age of 25 in the industry. And my ability to really understand and connect with older clients was non-existent. Because, and I still don't have kids. But that is a huge factor. Not having kids and not understanding the demands that are in a parent's life that aren't in somebody's life that doesn't have that. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's huge. And it's trainers. We work in an environment where yes, you should be able to, that's your job, right? That's what you do. You have two, three hours a day, give or take where you can do the things that you mentioned, work out, meditate, uh, down, regulate, do whatever it is that you do. But we are in, a very unique situation mm-hmm. that is vastly different than the other 99.19% <laughs> of the rest of the population. But yet I, we, we constantly, you see it all the time. And, and Nike started it with the whole, just do it thing. Just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just do it. Like, yeah, great. But I got a life. Like I got shit to do. I can't just do it. Yeah, like, you know, you see the stuff like train like a like a pro athlete. You're like, well, a pro athlete can dedicate their life to training because that's what that's their their job, right? That's their (laughs) job. That's their career. Yeah. Models and celebrities like we put these people as the, the pillar of what we should look like and be like, but That's their job. Their support system is ridiculous Mm -hmm. because they have the resources to have a support system. They have the financial wherewithal to have a private, a personal chef, to have a trainer that's with them six, seven days a week. Mm -hmm. Yes, their schedules are busy. Not saying that they're not, but they have etched out time that is completely devoted to making sure that their appearance is, is a specific way. And even then, we don't see that through all celebrities, right? 
we see celebrities that don't give a shit. Like, I remember listening to an interview with Matt Damon. And Matt Damon's like, I absolutely hate working out. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. Some people just don't like it. Oh, he hates it. They don't like working out. He said, if it wasn't for movies, I would never work out. Mm -hmm. He goes, I don't give a shit. You know, but to but to hear that a person like him say that, it, it really, it's a lot of the general population. They don't want to take that time out. And yeah, they want to be healthy. But I think at the same time, they see what we as an industry are pushing on them. Mm -hmm. And it really puts that, it, it instantaneously puts that, def that, that defense wall up. Because then you go, well, I'm going to have a trainer telling me, do this, do this, do this, do this. But then where am I going to fit that into my day? Yeah. And does that person understand how, what my day is like? Because I got, do most trainers even ask their clients, what is your daily structure or what is an average day for you? I would hope so. I mean, that should be the, like the initial part of your assessment. It shouldn't even be a movement assessment. It should be more of a lifestyle. Assessment. Here's your, yeah. What is your lifestyle? Like, what does your day consist of? How much, how much time can you actually dedicate mm -hmm. to training, whether it's in here or, and on your own, you know, and most people will say, well, I can maybe do half an hour to an hour every other day. Yeah. If I have a really busy lifestyle. You know, depending on age, all that. And if you have young kids, I mean, it's just your sleep's bad. It, your schedule's going to fluctuate. It's and When you have kids, your sleep, your sleep becomes way more important to you when you get that opportunity, right? Oh, absolutely, man. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're so tired, so your, your training motivation it's, isn't there. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, I'm going to sleep an extra half an hour instead of get up and train. Mm -hmm. You know, why would I, it's like, it's your body needs that mm -hmm. your body's telling you it needs that. Mm -hmm. It does need movement too, but Hey, I need to fit that in somewhere else. Yeah. And so we have to figure out, okay, how do we set those realistic expectations? Because we all know as trainers, we ask our clients to do things on their own. Right. And let's be honest out of every 10 clients that we ask to do stuff on their own, how many actually take the time to do it? Maybe 10, maybe one or two of them, yeah, possibly. Mean, and you always know that that's typically the case that they haven't done it because when you ask them, you say, hey, did you do your homework? Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> you get as soon as you get that pause, <laughs> right there, it tells you no. That's their answer. No matter what they try to come up with, that pause and that hesitation tells you exactly what you need to know. You didn't do it. Yeah. Because when somebody does do it, they're enthusiastic. They want to let you... They. You almost don't even have to ask them. Like, I did all my shit that you asked me to. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. But that is really not the vast majority of people that you're going to be dealing with. You know, and, and in that case, I think you have to ask those clients, and you, you know, you give them a couple options. It's give them just a single task mm -hmm. that takes one minute of their day. Mm -hmm. Start there. Go, can you do this? Can you do these two hip drills? It'll take you literally one minute. And then you can go on with your day. Mm -hmm. And then if they can achieve that a task, then you can maybe start adding a little bit more. But let's see if they can do it for two, three, four weeks mm -hmm. and let it become a habit. That's the first thing you're trying to institute. Number one, you got to find out, is this high enough on the person's priority level? Mm -hmm. Right? Is it high up there? If it's not, you're going to be ramming your head into a wall trying to get somebody to prioritize something that is just not that important to them. Mm -hmm. Which is really a, a waste of your time, 
when you're when you're doing that. So you really need to understand where you rank or where exercise and and health and fitness rank on that person's chart. Yeah. Once you have that, then you can have a much better idea of, okay, where can we go with this? And and how dedicated is this person going to be? Because sometimes, I think the vast majority of people or a good chunk of the people that you're going to get, the only time they're going to work out is when they see you. Yeah, absolutely, man. And then if they see you two, three times a week, you have to make sure that in those two to three sessions a week, you are covering the big rocks, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're making sure that what you're doing to them is impactful. And then you're not doing a ton of tedious stuff that it may be good, but it may not be making the, the same impact as a few things that mm-hmm. you could do. I think the one thing that I learned over the years is when somebody comes in, instead of imposing what you want to do on them in regards to, okay, I've got all this stuff planned out for you, but there's those times where a client comes in and you can tell that they're just stressed out, right? Mm-hmm. Life has them just by the throat and they're they're just not in the right state of mind. It's okay to tell that person, you know what? We're not going to train today. You, your CNS is completely just overtaxed. And to do a workout is just right now not going to be beneficial for you. Probably what's going to be more beneficial for you is to maybe just go outside Take a walk, get outside, relax. You can go with them on that. Say, okay, let's just go outside, talk, walk, talk, and listen, right? Mm-hmm. So you just basically become a therapist in essence, but let them use you as a sounding board to release a little bit, right? But then after that, just go home, relax. Try to downregulate as much as you can. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you're sleep deprived, you're stressed out. And you go try to train hard, you know, your chances of injury are much higher. Mm-hmm. And so, and the other thing too is, is you've heard us talk about this multiple times where we've always said, we think of as an industry, we tell people one hour to work out, but that setting that expectation of making sure that the person has 60 minutes to work out can be a big roadblock in getting them to work out mm-hmm. because that person may be like, well, I only have small breaks of 10, 15 minutes here and there. It's really hard for me to set that one hour aside. And some people would say, well, that that's a lack of priority, right? So there's that side of the story too. And, and it can be to a small, to some degree, mm-hmm. maybe that's the case. But sitting there and trying to jam a round peg into a square hole isn't going to make the situation better. Because naturally, that person is going to put up barriers. But I think in that case, you say, hey, use the time that you do have or you do find efficiently. Mm -hmm. Get in as much as you can. And then we'll see where that evolves or how that evolves down the road. You know, and I think for the people that struggle with, with getting active or not getting active, but getting to do like a typical traditional gym workout with with them, I think it's probably better to help them find an activity that they can become passionate about. Mm -hmm. Because when you have that passion for a certain activity, like you want to go do it, you don't care. And then hopefully that activity gives them a lot of physical benefits where, you know, they can get some cardiovascular training, they get a little strength training, coordination, agility, you know, whatever it is. And then they can use, now they see the gym as, Hey, I want to use the gym to get better at this activity so I can get faster, so I can have more endurance, so whatever it is. I think there, in that case, 
trainer feels vulnerable to losing a client, perhaps. There is that influence, right? It really, on the back end of it, it, it comes down to a monetary thing, too, mm-hmm. where a client, where a trainer says, well, well, if this client goes and does this, then that's going to take away from the time they spend with me and reduces my income. But at the same time, it's hard to tell a trainer that it's going to be okay. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, you lo- you've lost that revenue, but at the same time, that person that wants to do another modality or wants to do something else is going to remember the support that you've given them. Absolutely, man. And they they may keep they may continue training, maybe it's less, but they may send their all their friends to you, their family to you because you're the one that that helped them connect with something and you changed their lives. But you were you related to them mm-hmm. and you you took into account things that other trainers weren't doing. And you changed it to the point where you said, okay, the other trainers that you saw were stubborn. They were dogmatic, overbearing. You gave them something different. You said, look, I'm going to do the best with what we can, what we have. Mm-hmm. And if it's not what you need, then we're going to try to get you something that is going to be in your wheelhouse. And that type of attitude, I think, is vastly different. Because I had that experience as a younger trainer, when you lost a cl- when a client was like, "Oh, I'm going to stop training," or "I'm going to do something else," it was like, "Oh my god!" So it, I've been there. Like you have that moment. Oh my god, that's eight hundred dollars a month. Like just poof, right? And it took time to realize that shit's gonna, that's going to happen. Like yeah, there's no sense getting offended by it or defensive about it. That's life. Clients are going to come and go. They're going to find other things. They're going to move. They may physically move out of the state, which nowadays is easy to overcome. You can do virtual training, yeah. right? Yeah. So you do have other avenues. But 20 years ago, when a client wanted, you just let them. You're like, you, no sense wasting your time and energy getting irritated and pissed off. It just is what it is. Mm-hmm. You then needed to figure out, okay, I just need to go get a different client or a new client to replace that lost revenue. And sometimes, to be very honest with you, I think you want to get to the point, I know me personally, I want to get to the point where if I could fire a client if I wanted to, Mm -hmm. because financially speaking, it wouldn't affect me. Because then I was, I personally was in a much better situation where I could control how my workflow went and how it affected me, right? Yeah, you're able you're able to work with who you want to work with and you're able to work with people that want to be there, mm-hmm. be with you. Yeah. You know, and you're not babysitting. And you have to do what you need to do when you're starting out. That is a first thing that you uh, young trainers have to take in if you want to be in this game long term. If you want to be in this as a career 20, 30 years, you when you start out you need to take every client that you can get your hands on, right? Mm-hmm. Number one, that's where you gain experience. Number, but number two, that's where you have revenue to be able to put to pay the bills. But once you've done started doing that, then the concept and the idea is is to improve your ability as a coach and a, and a trainer, and then start to see that effect on your clientele to the point where you have 
plenty of revenue and you're in a comfortable position where you can have somebody say, hey, I was referred to you. I was told I should give you a call. But you look at your schedule and go, you know what? I just don't have the bandwidth right now. Mm -hmm. I apologize. I'm pretty booked up. But I can refer you out to another trainer or coach that I would feel very comfortable training with myself. Yeah. Right. And so for me, I think that was a goal for me. I was able to get there at a pretty early stage, which I was very thankful for. Uh, and that's one of the things when, when young trainers ask me what the long game is supposed to be or what it should be. That's one of the things I always try to get them to, to aim for. Well, and I think also with taking on as many clients as you can early on, you also get to learn and see what is your ideal type of client. Mm -hmm. Like, who do you like to work with the most and what area do you thrive in? Like for us, like, like I like, I work with a lot of golfers, but also work with a lot of people that have chronic pain and you're the same way. Mm -hmm. I think if, if you wanted to work with people that you know are going to do the things that you ask of them are very committed to that lifestyle, then you're going to be able to pick up on who those people are. Mm -hmm. Like you'll get them right away. Like you'll be like, okay. And it may be the athlete that that's what they do, right? That's their life. That's their job. But for the vast majority of us, our clients are the general population. They're the moms, they're the dads, mm -hmm. they're the grandparents. And from day to day, everything is fluid. So yes, you may have that person scheduled for Monday, Wednesday, Friday from 10 to 11 on all three days. Mm -hmm. Things happen where they cancel, they, 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 they don't show up or things happen and you've got to be okay with it. You've got to be willing to be able to understand the fluid dynamics of the situation because they are a parent. They, they are a grandparent and it's a vastly different lifestyle than a pro athletes or even college athletes go through. Yeah. You, you have to be able to put yourself in their shoes, mm -hmm. you know, and you go, okay, what if I didn't have this much time to train? How would I go about doing things? And I think you become much better at programming. And then when you actually have a phase in your life where you literally don't have any time mm -hmm. to do it, then you get really good at it. Do you find that like younger trainers, well, for, when you first start, who did you typically train? Like who were some of your first people when you first started? <sighs> When I first, first started were like a couple buddies. Yeah, it, pretty much across the board. That's yeah. typically how it works, yeah. right? But do your buddies have money? Uh, I mean, at that time, one of them did. Yeah. But the other ones, no. Not really. no. Yeah. Right? You were training, but you weren't really income-wise. You're kind of like, oh, shit. Yeah. Right? But then, so then you realize, or you should have that epiphany pretty early on, that my base clientele is going to not be my buddies. Like that doesn't pay my bills. Yeah, it's your, fun. Your buddies are like, Hey man, hook me up with a session. There you, <laughs> there you go. Right. Cause your buddies are expecting you or they would ask of you, Hey man, like, is there a buddy discount? Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> you're going to charge me full price. Some friends do realize it is a business and they understand, but that's really not the vast majority. Yeah. I don't think. So then you quickly should have that epiphany that your base clientele is going to be older population or people that are over the age of 30, realistically, and pretty close to 40. Yeah. Because those are the people with the disposable income to see you. But then at the same time, those people, if you're 25 
and they're 45, then you have to understand what they go through on a daily basis. And you've got to be good with it. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand what their body's been through in 45 years and that they can't train like you do. Very much so. Right? So where you're putting in three, two, three hours a day to look a certain way. So that way you can, in your mind, you can market yourself better that way. Right? But then you have to understand what are you going to be like at the age of 45? You're probably going to be in the same boat that the client that's 45 years of age is already in. You're going to be there. You're just not there yet. Mm -hmm. So when do you have that moment to empathize with people? And do you get on the same wavelength with them? Are you on the same level? And that's hard, I think, for a lot for young people, especially a novice, new coaches in the industry, new trainers. That is something that is going to be very hard for them to get into. Yeah, and that, that just comes with experience and time. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to see so many of those types of clients to understand this is the this is the training volume that this person can take. Mm-hmm. Like you can't destroy them. Mm-hmm. Like they want to they want to get results. They want to feel better. They want to look good. They want to get stronger. But their bodies don't heal as fast. They don't have the same amount of time as you do. Their sleep may not be as good. You know, the stress that everything compounds. A perfect example for me is, is like when I'm in the locker room with my teammates playing hockey, Mm -hmm. the conversations that I hear them go get into with themselves over exercise and fitness is extremely amusing. And and I very rarely say anything. Like I, I just keep my app shut. I think on one of my teams that I played with for a long time, a lot of the guys on that team know what I do, but on the other team that I play with that's relatively new, I've only been with them for about a year. None of those people have any idea what they do, what I do. Yeah. And, I, and I don't tell them. Like, that's just not the thing for me, unless somebody would ask, yeah. right? But like last night, they got into a whole conversation about the Theragun mm-hmm. and massage, right? And, and oh, like I'm getting, so just listening to what, their talk is about and yet knowing what we know you just sit there you're just like okay like you know then that gives you that understanding of where everybody's coming from yeah i was just gonna say that that must give you a great perspective yeah okay so this is what the general population thinks like yes because when you're when you're a strength coach trainer you're in this little bubble so you hear all the lingo you hear what you know what's new what's going on here's the science on this you know, and then you try to, uh, in a session, you're trying to talk to your client like this, and they don't give a shit. They don't care, folks. <laughs> they don't care. It's just because in these conversations, you you do hear some ridiculous stuff. You hear stuff, and you go, "Oh, that's so off base. Yeah. That's so <laughs> off target." But that's that's it's reconnaissance, right? You're just listening. What what are people's perceptions on what we do or what health and fitness is? Mm-hmm. And it's about listening and just absorbing and getting that reconnaissance work and then I'm going, okay, so this is what the general population thinks. And this is the stuff that they deal with. So now how do I turn that to my advantage? And can you turn it to your advantage? Yeah, because we will geek out about stuff, right? Mm-hmm. About all this, the training and the little, oh, this isometric thing or this power thing. 
where with the general public, they want simple solutions yeah. as simple as humanly possible, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe, maybe after they buy into that stuff, then they can dive deeper and deeper and deeper to this. But yeah, when you have that client first on, I mean, it's, you've got to start with just absolute basics. Yeah. I mean, today I, I got a new lady is starting and she just basically wants to, she would like to be able to stand up out of a chair without having to just push her upper, use her upper body so much. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of interesting because just <clears throat> doing work with the sticks with her for a half hour, she's like, my legs are shaking. Cool. All right. We're done. Yeah. We're good. We'll do some more upper body focused stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe work on some spiral lines, work on some oblique slings, things of that nature. But if on that basic feedback, she's like, oh my God, my legs are just shaking. Cool. They're good. Yeah. They're cooked. They're cooked. They're done. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a waste of time for me to do anything else. Yeah. But, and I haven't loaded her. I'm just teaching her how to deal with her load. Mm-hmm. I mean, technically, she has assistance too. And she has assistance, right? So it's just taking into account what is this lady looking for? And then realistically, what is she going to do on her own? You know, I said, look, you're going to come see me twice a week. We'll lock that in. But the stuff that we do when you're here twice a week, when you go home, at least one to two other days mm-hmm. in between the time I see you, I need you to work on the stuff that we're directly working on. And then if you do that, you should see some pretty solid progress relatively quick. Yeah. And even if it's half the time that you guys spend or a quarter of the time you guys spend, that she's still getting reps, she's still building strengths, still building muscle tissue. She's giving her body the stimulus that she wasn't giving before. Mm -hmm. And so she's going to see some type of return on that. And the type of return is based off of how much time she's willing to commit to that. And she's pretty, she seems like she's pretty gung ho. Yeah. Right. So then I have to figure, okay, she'll probably do some of the homework that I give her. Right. But then I'm not expecting her to do all the homework that I, that I'm giving her because maybe I feel, maybe it's just, I'm jaded and I, I've seen all the years of training <laughs> and what people realistically do. So I already have that mind pre predisposed mindset of, okay, I gave you this homework and you'll probably at best do 20, 30% of it. Yeah. But maybe she'll surprise the shit out of me and she'll do all of it. Yeah. Who knows? You always hope for that client, right? I was like, oh, I hope this is the client that really just does everything I ask of them, right? You just give her four things where you know that if she does, any one of them is going to be really impactful. Yes. Is, is the key there is whatever homework it is, if if you know they're, they're not going to do all of it, make sure they're all impactful. Right. As a parent for you or any other parent, I think getting your clients to just go and play with their kids is a big change because how many parents physically don't play with their kids oh there's a lot man because it's it's tiring they can i mean they're they're endless they have endless amounts of energy yeah and sometimes you don't want to play the games that they're playing right but but you do it you know because you love them and your kids and you know you get into it and the positions you may have to get in Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, some people can't get into that anymore mm-hmm. when they're 30, 40 years old, but it would, it would benefit you, you know, to, to get that movement variability, to chase your kids around, get that cardio. And then, but maybe from that, just from 
you know, if you have young kids and you find you hadn't been physically active, but you go out there and you're winded and you're like, okay, maybe that's, that's the, the signal to you. Like, Hey, I need to do something to, to turn this around so I can actually go play on the kid, play with my kids on the ground, get on the playground with them, run around, chase them as they get older. Maybe they get into sports and you want to throw a ball around. You know, that's a, for, I know for myself, like that's a big thing for me is I want to be able to do all that stuff as they grow up. Yeah. Most parents, both parents are working. Mm-hmm. They have careers, but taking time to actually play with the kids doesn't happen because of the I'm busy. Mm-hmm. I have work I have to get done, you know, and that's unfortunate, but it's it's basically probably pretty much true across the board, mm-hmm. where if we can get your client as a parent to then focus and say, okay, when your kids want to play, just spend a half hour with them. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's huge and it's it's massively beneficial for the kids. It's It's like the ultimate way to learn mm-hmm. for them. And like you just said before, you as an adult are going to get a lot, of, a lot out of it also, mm-hmm. right? Not just the connection with the kids, but physically, after a half hour, you may be like, man, I'm, I am tired. Yeah. Well, there's your workout. It, it, was, it was an increased stress stimulus. Mm-hmm. Your body had to overcome that and adapt to it. And as a result, at the end of the half hour, you're like, oh, I'm tired. Okay. Now, as you come into the gym, we train a couple t- days a week or whatever. Then over a period of a month to two months, then that half hour doesn't become as taxing. Mm-hmm. And who knows? Maybe then you end up spending an hour. But it's just life gets in the way, and it just it is what it is. I think a lot of general population is very intimidated by what we do as an industry, and that really stops them in their tracks in regards to utilizing us as a source. Yeah. Well, and, you know, with with someone that's completely detrained, it doesn't take a lot to start getting results Mm -hmm. as far as strength gains go and, Mm -hmm. you know, just just getting active, starting to lose some weight. You don't have to you don't have to have this extensive program. Mm-hmm. for those things to happen because yeah, i know we talk about you know general population should train like athletes too but that's a different it, not literally to the letter of the of the law yeah right <laughs> you might have the same ex some of the same exercises yeah. at a different level of progression or regression right but uh, we see that where i think <clears throat> too many people take that literally yeah like my athlete trains two hours a day, so you need to train two hours a day. No, that the context <laughs> is vastly different. Train like an athlete, yes, in methodologies, but train like an athlete in duration and volume and intensity. Hmm, that's no, that's vastly different. Yeah. And what's the what's the average age of a professional athlete? Early twenties, late mid twenties. Yeah. And. What's the average age group demographic that you're working with as a trainer? Early 40s? It's got to be 40 plus. 40 plus? Mm-hmm. Folks, that's a massive difference. That, that's over a decade. And that decade makes a world of difference as far as impact is concerned. Mm-hmm. Because even that general population, even the professional athlete, we're seeing professional athletes, by the time they get into their late 20s, early 30s, we see a shift in how even they focus on the fitness and and their training. You know, you saw with Tom Brady on how he talked about how recovery work is really important to me. 
it's super important, right? And we, you know, we see that with the older athletes because they finally understand the importance of understanding and regulating intensity and regulating volume and regulating recovery work. Yeah, because for them, it's more about healing from game to game. Mm -hmm. It's not about trying to get faster anymore. But hey, I just need to make sure I, I'm on the court the next game. Mm -hmm. Because they've topped out at their speed. Mm -hmm. you know, they've topped out at their strength levels. They don't realistically need to be stronger or faster. Because with the increase in age and experience, you also change... A, you get a better approach to what you're doing. So you find more efficient ways to be an athlete out on the field. That's game knowledge or mm -hmm. understanding of the game, so to speak, right? You think the game at a high level, a higher level than other people. And so that allows you, that aspect allows you to overcome that little bit of performance decrease that you experience as you get into your early 30s. Yeah, and for them, you know, they want to try to maintain that that speed and power and strength as much as they can with as little stimulus as possible, mm -hmm. as little training time to maintain. The least effective dosage, mm -hmm. right? But then we, or I should say the average person, looks at the marketing campaigns. They look at social media. They go, okay, that's how I'm supposed to train. But they're not taking into account you sit at a desk all day. You've got three kids. You don't have a personal chef. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have a massage therapist. You don't have an ATC, a trainer. You know, you just don't have that support structure. Yeah. So your your limitations are extremely upfront. Like you just don't have that. You don't have access to the nutritional supplements. Wink wink. Whether that's a pharmaceutical <laughs> nutritional supplement or a a herbal nutritional supplement, you know how that goes. But that's those are all things that that I think we as an industry fail to take into account. But we turn around and then we condemn people for being lazy sloths, right? Mm -hmm. But I think we've put unrealistic expectations on them. Well, and then what happens is people that get into to training, they're more impatient, mm -hmm. right? Because they don't see that it it takes a long time to get to that point. I mean. If you look at a professional athlete, you can't expect to actually get to their point. Like, that's not something you should... You can sh you strive to be as best as you can be, but don't expect to ever perform like a pro athlete. Because they had... They, number one, they're superior. They're genetically superior. Mm -hmm. They have a skill level that very few people are ever going to achieve. They have capacity in their body that very few people will ever be able to, to achieve. And those are things... But those are things that... The average person doesn't understand to take into account. And they have, when they wake up in the morning to the time they go to bed at night, that is their number one responsibility is to train mm -hmm. and train for what they're going to do out on the court, the, the rink, the field, wherever. But the rest of us, we don't have that. And we are genetically not predisposed to do, be able to do what they do. And like I said, like we've been saying, we just don't have that support system there. Our job in the morning when we get up is to feed the kids, make sure they get dressed for school, get them off to school, get your ass to work, make sure that you don't get fired, do your job well, yeah. then pick the kids up from <laughs> school, take them to soccer practice, whatever, come back home, feed them dinner, make sure they do their homework. Oh, and shit, I got to work out. Yeah. <laughs>
You know, like, but at the end of the day, what do you think the average parent's going to do? Decide to work out or grab a glass of wine and sit down and watch a freaking Netflix show? Oh, grab a glass of wine and watch some Netflix for sure. Right? Yeah. Nine out out of 10. Yeah. Because mentally they're just tapped out. It's Mm -hmm. not even physically. It's just mentally they're just tapped out. And I think that's one of the things that, and I, well, I know that's one of the things I, I really had to lock into as someone that doesn't have kids to, to really be able to empathize and at least identify with Mm -hmm. and say, okay, I get it. I get it. It took me a while, but I finally got it. Like I, cause I did, I would look at my clients with that look of shame. (laughs) Like when I'd be like, did you do your stuff? No. You're weak. You're weak. Yeah, you're, yeah, you are weak. You are not deserving of this. And we just we see the same thing on social media, right? We see these all these gung-ho trainers and this is what they do. Like this is your job. If you're in a gym six to eight hours a day training five to six hours of worth of clients. Then, yeah, in between, you have an hour here. You have two hours there. So, yes, you have plenty of time to get your session times. Yeah. But think about older trainers. Once they've had kids and once they've gotten married, do they train the same? No, I mean, I just from my experience. Yeah, from your experience. The way I used to train, well, I just the the time I had before kids, Mm -hmm. I go climb two, three Times a week, my wife and I would go climbing on the weekends for what two, three hours at a time. Yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. No, we don't have that now. I I climb once a week. You know, with the responsibilities of of my training business, responsibilities for stick mobility. You know, making sure I spend enough time with the kids, spend spend enough time with my wife. You know, those those things are the the obviously my health is very important. So luckily, we're in a position where we're moving and we're pretty active all day with Mm -hmm. whether it's with our clients or it's doing stick mobility stuff. So we can, I can program my own training within my sessions. It's like, Hey, I'm going to do part of this warm up with you. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to demo this, this many exercises. If I train, say train four people or five people in a day, you know, I can get 40 minutes of work within those five sessions, even though it's split up, Mm -hmm. it's still a lot of good movement. Hey, maybe it's demoing a couple pull-ups or a couple push-ups. You know, I'm still maintaining strength, still maintaining flexibility. Maybe I'm not getting that same cardiovascular work in, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's, it's still a lot. And then, you know, I go run around, chase my kids around, play with them, get on Mm -hmm. the ground, do all that. It may not be the ideal program that I want to get on where I'm, you know, I'm at my maximum climbing level. I'm at my maximum power for golf, all this stuff, but it's still, you know, I'm able to maintain a, a healthy body, healthy mind. And, you know, now as they're starting to get a little older, it's starting to get a, a little bit easier because I didn't climb. It's such a big passion of mine. I'm like, you know what? I need to, I need to just block off a certain part of my schedule. Like, this is something that I love, something that I need to do. Mm-hmm. So it's like, all right, you know, this day week, I'm going to go for two hours. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. not, I'm not scheduling anything that time, you know, I'm no clients, no work, nothing. But even then, that's just one day a week. It's just one day a that's week. It. Yeah. But the, the <laughs> impact that it's had as far as my, when I do train now on my own, mm-hmm. I have this, I guess for the last couple of years, like I, I would train. Mm-hmm. I just train, right? Okay, yeah. I'm going to do this. I'm going to stay strong all around, stay flexible all around. But now that I have a specific goal, mm-hmm. it's it's different. Like, okay, I want to 
even though I'm only climbing once a week, I still want to climb the best that I can climb mm-hmm. every time I go. Yeah. So now my I have to be super efficient with my training. Okay, what's going to be the most impactful thing that's going to make me better at climbing? So if I have two days a week that I can train this, and this once a week when I go climb is almost like my test. Like, yeah. Is my training right. working? Yeah, yeah. Is it working and yeah. is it enough? So yeah, it's been it's been kind of cool getting back into it and seeing, you know, how much I can affect my performance with the little time I do have. And I think that's a great to compare how you view climbing and I view climbing is really key here because you're super locked in on that two hours. You want to be into it. Where me, I use climbing more as just a supplemental movement therapy, right? Yeah. So I love it. And it's it's not that my passion for it isn't the same as Neil's. I love it just as much as Neil does. But my my perspective on it is I go in for one hour. And I typically, I try to target two to three times a week. But for me, it's just to help offset playing hockey. It's to help offset the other training that I do at the gym. Mm -hmm. It's just another form of movement therapy for me. And that is a big difference on how Neil and I prioritize the same activity. Yeah. You have it way up here on the priority list. Mine is down lower. And there's nothing wrong with that, Mm -hmm. folks. I know I think a lot of trainers feel you're wasting your time if you're not doing that. Like You've got to be like Balls to the wall. And if you're not balls to the wall, well, then you're just unhealthy. Okay. It is what it is. Like, that's your attitude. Great. It is. Who knows? Maybe you're 20, 25 years of age and that's your attitude. Let's see what that that attitude's like when you're 45, 50. Yeah. It's probably going to be vastly different. Yeah. Because for you, like, how much has your training changed since you were 25? Oh, ridiculous it's just ridiculous when i was 25 oh my god like <laughs> like i did 20 sets per body part <laughs> like i today's chest day i did 20 sets of chest yeah <laughs> like dude i can't oh i touch my chest it just is so sore it's fantastic yeah. right <laughs> i remember when i was oh well, when i was in high school when i was 18 uh gold's gym had just opened up in buffalo and my buddy Dan Durant and I, we were sh- we were like, yeah, Gold's Gym. And Dan went and got a membership. So he's all like, hey, come on in. And he goes, yeah, I'll get you in as a guest. And I was like, okay, cool. We literally spent like four hours there, my very first time in that gym, uh-huh. hitting everything from head to toe. I literally could not freaking walk for like two days. <laughs> but I was like, that is the best workout <laughs> ever. Four hours at Gold's Gym. Hammering every machine, everything we could pick up. And then I just, yeah, I look back at that and go, well, that's because you're 18. Yeah. I remember in high school, you know, training with Chris, yeah. we're at the gym and, you know, you leave and you're like, dude, I can't touch my shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, me either. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was like I needed to train six days a week. Uh, when I was 19, 20, I was doing a lot, I was doing two a days. I was in the gym twice a day because I did kind of have aspirations of being on a stage. Yeah. That stopped after I realized that I would need to take PEDs to be anything elite. Mm-hmm. And I, that I was not willing to do. So, but I still, for me, I two days, two, two workouts a day, I had the time 
and it was enough. It was high on my priority list. I made that happen. Like I did that. So, but then as I get, as I got older, I was just like, what's the point? I'm big enough. My arms aren't going to get much bigger. Uh, How much bigger do I need my arms to be? You know? Like, yeah, is it going to make you happier to have bigger arms? Right. Right. It's just good. With my dimensions, I just realized it just makes it way harder to buy clothing. Yeah. (laughs) Literally, that's why I was like, this is such a pain in the ass. I can't get a shirt because my neck is too thick. (laughs) My arms are too short and stubby. Yeah. Like, literally, I walk into a men's store. I'm like, it's a nightmare. Yeah. So, I mean, you're like, so what's the whole point of that? You just, you hit numbers. And we've talked about it before. You hit goals, you hit numbers, then you go, okay. What's next? What's next? Yeah. You know, was it as satisfying as I expected? And a lot of times, not really. Like, it was like, okay, I did it. Whoopie-doo. You know? And we've, nobody else gives a shit. Yeah. I mean, just your, your closest training buddies. That's it. Yeah. That's, that's literally all that cares. Anybody else doesn't give a shit. I mean, you can tell your, tell your wife and be like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's exactly. You're all like, yeah. yes. Oh, by the way, did you get that thing done earlier? Yeah. <laughs> did you get? Did you get to the post office? <laughs> no. I mean, that's life, folks. And, and so the industry itself, there is just that massive disconnect on what our realistic expectations should be for most people. Mm-hmm. And yes, you will always have that a type personality who's super militant who prioritizes at the puts that at the top and that's fine that's that's great that's for that's perfect for that person but then you're gonna have those other people on the opposite end of the spectrum due to a lot of different factors and a lot of them are more psychological i think than physical Mm -hmm. that if you can help them overcome those obstacles You've made a massive impact in that person's life. And yeah, that may mean having them just pick up a kettlebell where four years earlier, they would have been like, there's no way in hell I'm touching that thing. But all of a sudden, four years later, they're okay with doing some farmer's carries with some kettlebells. You've made some massively important strides right there. You know, if you've given that person the confidence and ability at an airport to take the stairs versus taking the escalator. Mm -hmm. You've made a massively important impact in that person. I mean, that's a perfect example of what the vast majority of the world is like. Go to the airport and just sit there and watch people take the escalator or the stairs. And that pretty much tells you where people have fitness on their priority level. Yeah, and then you can watch them how they put their their luggage inside the overhead compartments. Yes. Right? Do they struggle? Is it easy? Yep. And you can tell, like, okay, well, this person, this is just I mean, this is how most people are, like you said. And you're talking about the farmer carries, you know, I had a client and I'd have her do that all the time. This was just a part mm-hmm. of her session. Mm-hmm. Have her do a few sets of carries and over the course of a year, two years, she's like, Oh, I can I can carry my my groceries from my car through the parking lot all the way up my stairs on the third floor to my apartment. And that was huge for her without setting them down. That's huge. Yeah. Because it shows that overall from everything, not just from a musculoskeletal uh, factor, but from a cardiovascular factor, Mm -hmm. she has improved drastically. 
She's not setting records. She's not doing all this and that. But for her and her world, she has gone from where she was on a scale of one to 10. She was at a two. Mm-hmm. Now she's at a four or five. Yeah. And her life is easier. Her life is drastically easier. And you're hoping that that continues on that slight uptick. Is it probably going to cap out somewhere? Of course. There's going to be a ceiling. Everyone has a ceiling. It, most people never see their ceiling. Mm-hmm. They don't get to that ceiling. And for people that are super intense and, and really put a high priority on and health and fitness, those people probably will see their ceiling. They will achieve it. But that, once again, uh, you're in a small, small, small percentage of the overall population. I think the other thing to think about, too, is when you're chasing the ceiling is thinking about uh, your long-term health. Like, what is that impact of chasing that ceiling for every single thing you do, exercise in the gym? How is that going to impact your long-term health? And is it is it worth it? D- yes. Did the pursuit of reaching your ceiling end up costing you down the road? And humans are horrible at understanding the long-term ramifications of their decisions. And for us, don't be that person that that lives in the past that is always like, well, I used to do, I used to bench press 400. I used to sprint this. I used to do that. Okay. Stop. You don't do that anymore. You chased your ceiling, you achieved your ceiling, but what did it cost you? Mm -hmm. Now you struggle to get out of bed. Now you can't get up and down off the floor. You struggle to do that. So the pursuit of your ceiling, it, it meant, and there's nothing wrong with it. If you want to pursue that ceiling, great. But understand that when that comes with a, if that comes with a cost, you've got to be okay with that cost. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's everything, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Just don't bitch about the reaction. I, mean, I think yeah. that's one of the things, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people bitch about the reaction. You had to know something was going to happen. Everything has a consequence. And as long as you're good with those consequences and you have to understand the pros and the cons, we're good. Mm-hmm. But when you act ignorant and then you bitch about the reaction, well, uh, what else did you expect? You put your hand over a, fu- over a flame and you get burned. Don't bitch about getting burned. Yeah. You shouldn't have put your hand over a flame, right? Yeah, it's like you know climbing. I love it, but you won't see me free soloing. Right. Yeah. I, I think people, you know, people have asked, have you ever climbed outdoors? No, no. And it's not something I plan on doing. I'm good with indoor climbing. Mm-hmm. That's my, that's for me in, in my part, on my priority list and in my life, that's my pinnacle. I'm good with that. For other people that I completely admire people that do that though. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, it's I, incredible. It's incredible. It's incredible. Uh, I love seeing people push the boundaries of human limitations. Yeah. I'm we are all about that. I love seeing people do stuff. But just because I see it done doesn't mean that I feel like I gotta do it. Yeah. And you have to remember that the people doing that are elite. Elite elite level professional athletes. If even if they're not a mainstream sport, they are they're still athletes. athletes. They're still athletes. And those people have been doing that for a very long time time mm-hmm. it didn't just take place overnight it wasn't like they just woke up and said oh i think i'm going to do this and they did it uh and we see that at, at, on social media where people do some amazing athletic feats but then the comments are all like oh that's terrible blah 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 blah, blah. well you have to take into account the things that we just talked about 
their skill level is just vastly higher. Their mm-hmm. capacity is vastly higher. It, will they possibly pay a price down the road? Well, of course. But this is what they're capable of doing, and they're pushing the boundaries of human limitations. You know, I showed you, I sent you that video of the guy roller rollerblading backwards on one leg in a back bend. Yeah, <laughs> nuts. I mean, it was nuts, and his head was barely off the ground. Mm-hmm. It was insane. I saw that and went, "Oh shit, that is freaking nuts!" Super impressive. I mean, it, it's a skill level that I was just like, "Freaking good for you." Is it something I need to go do? No, no, but it's incredible. But it's incredible yeah. to watch. And it's, it just shows you the possibilities of what's available to you. Then it's up to you to figure out, is it something that's worth it for me to pursue? Mm-hmm. Is it something that I want? And hopefully, we'll start to see the fitness industry change gradually over a time period and see more of that understanding of realistic expectations on, on what, what we're putting on people. Hopefully, you enjoyed our conversation today. You know, we just wanted to shoot the shit about... You know, that issue that we've seen, uh, we've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks. And a lot of it is mostly just looking at people's social media and then seeing just kind of, and I, maybe it's just for the social media aspect. It could maybe be just, they're just for pumping that, uh, it for that, just to get more eyeballs, become more viral, become more viral mm-hmm. and, and, and exude that persona that they, then it's really maybe not even them. Uh, but drastic extreme things bring, dr- more eyeballs yeah and more exposure but for the rest of us it's just it is what it is life is life it's fluid it's always changing and you prioritize what you feel you need what's important to you and everything else is what it is so until next episode be good to each other thank you for listening to our podcast be sure to hit that subscribe button and whatever platform you're on either apple itunes or spotify please if you could leave a review we'd appreciate that if you have any questions that we can answer for you be sure to leave those in the comments also if you're looking for more information on our education our products please go to www.stickmobility.com and also hit that subscribe button to that youtube channel and don't forget our live instagram classes three times a week if you want to join in grab your sticks and hit that 40 five minute class.